Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, welcome to the 289th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Juan Sebastian Barron, but I call him Seabass, and he's actually producing a commercial I'm working on right now. Uh, I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. We're here with uh, Carlin Hudson, who almost did a spit take after that show. I, true. I was like, do you know this guy, Seabass? So I'm glad to hear that you did. Oh, no, yeah, I know him. Well, so today we're going to talk about commercials. We're all, we've all been working on commercials a lot lately. Uh, we talk about commercials a lot on the podcast, but today uh, I thought that we could um, talk about the myths, the pros, and the cons, uh, because I've been recently on quite a few jobs. I've had various different challenges, and I've also at the same time been talking to a few filmmakers that are trying to get into commercials, and I thought, hey, this would be like a fun topic to basically turn into a listicle. You know, here's the things that a lot of people trying to get into commercials think about commercials that I personally don't find to be true. And I'd love to hear your guys' takes on them. Um, and then here are the things that I like about directing commercials, which are, you know, pretty obvious, make money fast. Um, but uh, the list of things that I don't like about commercials, which is also you could think about as a list of the differences between commercial directing and narrative directing. Uh, and I thought we can go through those things and maybe, uh, turn some people off of commercial directing and turn other people on. Does that Let's do it. For you guys? Let's do it. Oren, take it away. What you got first? Okay. So we're going to start with the myths because I think, you know, a lot of people think that they, that commercials are some way for them to make money while they're working like on their feature script or on their mm-hmm. TV show. They moved to LA. They know how to edit. They know how to direct. They know how to work with actors. They went to film school. I'm actually curious from Matt, your point of view, especially going to like USC film school, like if there's a lot of people coming out of film school that thought like, oh, well, on the side, I'll do commercials mm-hmm. just to make money. But, you know, I have my passion projects. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, for the record, I would put all three of us in the category that you were describing, Oren, even though I know this is the myth part, but we're all working on our own stuff on the side, right? <laughs> like Garland's like, you know, working pretty actively, but uh, I think maybe the thing that you're really getting at is that breaking into commercials and the amount of time we spend working on commercials is similar to basically having a day job. You know, like it's it's a lot of uh, unpaid hours and commitment and, and interest that it takes to, to get in there. So, but your, to answer your question, uh, I was a snob, surprise, surprise. 
So I didn't really think about commercials. I thought about music videos a lot because especially at the time, that was a thing that was very um, trendy. You know, you looked at Spike Jones or David Fincher or Michelle Gondry, those guys um, who were all making the best features at the time. And it was like, oh, well, they got their start in music videos. I want to do that, too. And that's kind of how I developed my interest in commercials is because I started interning at places because most, especially at the time, but even still, uh, commercials and music videos kind of just because they're both short form, like get lumped into, you know, if you're a stylish young director, that's a good place to get started. And music videos are uh, in a certain sense easier to break into because the budgets are drastically smaller, especially if you're interested in like independent music or whatever. Yeah. And you actually could like, you could make a good spec music video Mm -hmm. on your own. Yeah. I mean, if you have like a gimmick or an idea or, or a take or you're friends with a band basically is kind of how um, I think typically things would start. Right. Hopefully that band is famous, but even if not, it wasn't that big a deal, you know? And what about you, Carlin? Were you like, did you ever have that attitude that commercials are like the easy money making thing that nobody wants to do? So you'll do it to make some money while, you're competing, you know, for the stuff that everyone wants to sink their teeth in. Yeah, I think commercials, especially when you're younger or even younger, not even an age sense, but a career sense, mm-hmm. you have greener. this greener. Thank you. You have this sense of how hard can it be? I could do that. I've done shorts. I've done whatever. Like this got this has to be like, I don't see why I can't get hired to make like a shitty phone commercial or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it just seems like it seems easy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and with that attitude, it's I think, not. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. I, I, you know, honestly, actually, I heard a lot. I remember hearing actors say that, like, oh, I'll do commercials and TV to make money while I aspire to be a movie star. That was the thing that I heard all the time. Carlin's nodding her head. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess my point is that the myth is that commercials are somehow easier to get into than mm-hmm. film or TV. Yes, there's a lot of branded content. There's a lot of low budget stuff, um, you know, but I, if you want to play in the big leagues in the same way that you want to do it in commercial in, in film and TV, if you want to make a Netflix film or you want to make a TV show um, that's even like on a cable network that no one really watches, making a commercial, a million dollar commercial, or even like a half a million dollar commercial is as competitive as getting those things. So it's not, it's not like a stepping, like an easy stepping stone. Mm-hmm. It can be a stepping stone, but that, that's so. That's the the first myth I want to say to dispel. I have a question, actually. I remember at the time people saying, if you do want to get into commercials, that you should do PSAs, and that PSAs were a way to kind of do a national spot for a cause and like you maybe you wouldn't get any money or maybe they'd give you a little bit of money or whatever but like when you're in that kind of film school let's put on a show sort of zone of like oh all of our friends are just kind of helping each other out and i'm going to spec one thing for one person and they're going to help me spec another you know um that psa's were a thing did you ever hear that yeah i think i have heard that um i've personally never gotten a psa have y'all no 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 I, I wonder. So here are three working commercial directors. None of us have none done a of PSA. It. Well, that, <laughs> that's speaking of myths, though, right? Like it was yeah. like, oh, well, that, that's the way that you break in. That, you know, that's the music video of indie bands to music videos are PSAs to uh, to commercials. Is basically the right. But also, I think directors, team. new directors, think that it's all about money. Like, hey, I'll do it for free. I'll do it for cheap. So I, mm-hmm. I people want to hire me because I'm cheap. But really, it has so little to do with 
how much you're getting paid and so much to do with how you can convince people to trust you with their brand, even if it's a PSA, you know. In a certain league, you almost, people want to spend more money on a director, or at least they want that director to be expensive, even if they feel like they're getting them for a deal. Sure. Yeah, I think in my, maybe this is jumping ahead too much, but I think in my narrative experience, I, you know, I think I've talked about like this Netflix movie that I'm writing and the script that I, that they read that I got the job for, it's like sort of in the same ballpark, but it's not an exact comp of what I got hired to write. But in commercials, that's not, you have to, you have to have directed something so similar and I'm sure we're going to get there, but it's just... You, they just give like I, I think that that's another myth is that you're like well I do I've done a comedy thing like why can't I do a comedy commercial and you're like woof if you only knew the buckets of comedy mm-hmm. that you have to be in you know to even be one of the hundreds of reels submitted to be up for a job yeah, yeah. it's tough and yeah we will we will kind of talk about reels in it in a second okay I'll your just, favorite topic I love it yeah well I, not this this type of reel is not my favorite topic but yes okay. um. <laughs> But so, yeah, that, so I just had two other myths I wrote. The first one was that you can make a spec commercial and then sell it to the company that you made the spec of. Like that's literally happened like three times in the history of filmmaking. Wow. People think that? I didn't yes, know that. Yes, all the time. People are like, well, I made this like pretty awesome spec commercial. It's for this small company. They make a, like, or it'll be like Warby Parker or something. Like, oh, it's Warby Parker. It's a new company. Not that many people know. Them. And you're like, first of all, everybody knows them. <laughs> <laughs> And second of all, just because you haven't seen a TV commercial for them doesn't mean that they want TV commercials, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, let I me ask you this, common... Oren, because I, I, yeah. I, I hear that. I love that. Um, and it is fun to talk about the success stories every once in a while of, like, someone who makes a iPhone commercial at home and it becomes a, an actual phenomenon. But uh, have you ever heard of people reaching out to brands that they love to do spec work for them? Yeah, I've heard of people talking about that. I mean, I've heard, I've, especially through this podcast, I just talked to a lot of directors and I've definitely heard people say like, hey, I made this commercial, right? I have this great concept for this brand, you know, mm-hmm. not a, not even a Nike for, like, I love this pant, these Calphalon pants, you know, they, I can make a commercial for them. Like maybe I'll reach out and maybe they'll put it on their website or whatever. And it's like, it just never happens. Mm-hmm. Like you, it's all about that trust, especially if you have a brand worth anything. Well, let's dissect that a little bit more. Why why, why don't brands want free commercials, let's say? Well, because they want, I mean, there's a whole marketing department. They're, they have strategies. They have a brand that they want to protect. A lot of times they have agencies that they mm-hmm. go through. Um, and who are you to come tell like an entire team of marketing people that you know how to sell their stuff better than they do? Yeah, so, so so what I'm hearing, there's a couple things. One, there's gatekeepers. There's people whose jobs are to make commercials and pitch commercials and come up with great ideas. So they're going to be mad, right? Whether the idea is good or bad, it doesn't matter. It's like, uh, it feels like a personal affront to them. Let's, let's presume that's the situation. But the other thing that's really important is that you don't know what messaging is important to the brand in that moment, right? So, uh, you know, every quarter there's a new combination of rice, beans, cheese, guacamole, and sour cream, and a tortilla at Taco Bell. It's always the same thing mixed up somehow, right? And I guess ground beef or whatever. Um, but you don't know what it's called. You don't know what's exciting about it. And you don't know what, what what's down further down the pipeline, right? 
So even though you know, even if you're the biggest Taco Bell fan ever, you can't pitch a, a seven-layer burrito. You can tell I'm a vegetarian. I'm only naming vegetarians <laughs> at Taco Bell. But you can't you can't pitch an I've old, never, old fun product. fact, I've actually never eaten at Taco Bell. Lucky you. That's um, the best dog meat in town. <laughs> but but my point is is that all of these companies have mandates and messaging that you're probably not privy to because that advertisement is being made currently and that's for two quarters from now or at least next quarter right and yeah. so uh the likelihood that you know specifically what they're trying to highlight in their brand or what product they're trying to to promote the likelihood that that lines up with what you made spec wise is pretty unlikely right i have a story about this please hit me yeah well, it's it's about a music video, but I feel like music videos are kind of like advertisements for bands. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, this artist, I'm just going to out him, but um, this artist named Shaky Graves, you heard of him? Mm-hmm. He's a friend of mine, and he was in a bunch of my shorts when I lived in Austin, and we were friends. And he was kind of like taking off at the time, like he was, mm-hmm. you know, Shaky Graves is like becoming a thing. And so I wanted to direct a music video. And so I did it out of pocket and I like sort of told him my ideas, but I, I didn't really collaborate with him. I just thought he would trust me. And he saw the music video and he was like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not releasing this. I've had unreleased <laughs> music videos. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. I was devastated. Yeah. And I yeah, was yeah. like, and that's I, not I even a, a big company. Yeah. That, yeah but it's, it's still a brand. Um, it's still a brand. And he and I was so hurt that he didn't want to put this out. But looking back on it, I'm like. I should have collaborated with him because if he was, because he, the same thing with brands, right? Like if they're not invested in the work, then the likelihood of them putting it out under their name is is highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a, totally a tangent, but if you guys saw the VMAs recently, I think four of the five music videos that were nominated for best video of the year were directed by the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, you oh, know, it's wow. like, that's how little trust it is to get, to, you know, even for these people that are not directors to let somebody else direct their music videos. And these are the biggest people in the world, like the Beyonce's that could, you know, hire any single director in the world, but they're directing their own music videos or even Taylor Swift because they want to control the brand. Um, and then like on the commercial side, I'm working on this Amazon project right now. And they had like this 96 page brand guide for this product. And it's literally like how the logo, like you should never, use the graphic of the logo without the text. You should never outline the logo. You should never, mm-hmm. um, you know, arrange it in the middle of the screen. It should always be in a corner. Like all those things, like Matt is saying, you have absolutely no idea. And they'll, they'll be down to the wardrobe. Like, no, they don't like graphic tees in, you know, for this product I'm working on. They, it, they're just so specific. They don't want people too emotional. It's kind of a video game thing. They don't want um, to imply that they're competing with xbox or playstation it, it's like so hyper specific what they're targeting and like matt says you know if you are just like hey i got this cool idea for this mm-hmm. thing i saw on tiktok i think it would be good for your you know canon printer or whatever then they're gonna say they're actually never gonna respond to you because they're probably not even legally allowed to listen to your, <laughs> your idea that, that being said i <clears throat> that doesn't mean that you shouldn't spec it if it's like right. a legitimately funny or cool or stylish or emotional idea and you do really love that product or that brand, that's a cool spec. And all of the creative directors and agency people out there are going to see that spec and they're going to be so jealous because they are like, oh, I wish I could do that. But I know I'm not allowed to put the brand anywhere but up in the corner or whatever weird 
rules they have, right? Like if you're unencumbered by all of the trappings of, of a brand mandate, that means that you maybe have a better shot at making something legitimately cool and that can help you get the next job. Right. Well, this leads me to my third myth, which is, and this one's probably more up for debate, but don't take your short films or your features or your music videos and try to recut them into spec commercials. I mean, you can, and maybe it'll work for like a perfume commercial or something that like is so... I wish you could see the shock on Carlin's face right now. Well, because it's because all these Audience. things, like a commercial... <laughs> is I have a built, lot to say about this. A commercial is built in a certain way. Like you see all these people like, yeah, I made all these spec commercials. I'm like, yeah, really? That's a spec commercial? They're like, yeah, well, I took this short that I shot about a relationship, but now it's about, you know, a commercial for milk or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, it's interesting because you don't mention milk till the end card. And 99% of commercials mention the product like up front or at least show you the problem they're trying to solve up front. And sure, there's a Super Bowl commercial where it's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like Jason Momoa walking around doing silly things and you don't know what it's for till the end. But most commercials are trying to grab your attention and get the name of their product out up front. So if you're this unknown director that has beautiful footage that is very, very, very loosely tied to some brand, like it, it will feel like you recut your stuff. Um, and so, so here's my, yeah. I would disagree. I don't totally disagree in terms of cutting down your stuff to be spec commercials, but cutting down your stuff into thirties that gets the joke across or the story oh, across right. or cutting the like emotion a two minute, across. Like- branded content thing into a 30 second spot basically yeah i I think that has been useful for me personally because like and for i think for all three of us frankly right yeah coming from the world of branded content that's yeah definitely no even one of my college humor sketches this like Mm -hmm. it's called the genius behind it's like a master class parody about a guy who draws the boobs on cartoon characters it's very stupid, but we cut it down to 30 seconds and agencies fucking love it. Like yeah. they right. so is there, do you it. put like a brand on the end of it? No, or I it? guess ma- it's kind of for, I mean, it's like a masterclass parody. So it's like masterclass branding is throughout, but no, mm-hmm. it's not like a spec commercial. I right. use a similar college humor sketch about fancy restaurants and it's not at all. Right. Yeah. So Same. that is a good sketch. Having a good short on your reel is is not bad. I don't think like this short played at Sundance or having this really great sketch or this super funny thing. But cut I to 30 seconds. Video. Cut to 30 seconds. Yeah. I think is important. Right. Cause that's yeah. the problem too is like, but don't know, try to say it's a commercial. No, you don't oh, so, need to do that. But I do think, you know, yeah, don't put a Nike logo at the end of your cool sports film, especially not something like Nike because they have such specific branding. Like it mm-hmm. could never, how could you possibly, hit that right. Go ahead. right man who draws boobs on cartoon characters just more of a loose Nike. brand yeah yeah you know? <laughs> <laughs> there we go um i that being said if you did have a short film about someone who is very thirsty or something and then threw a got milk at the end my references are from 1996 right now i guess <laughs> but you know like there is a world where yeah, it right? would work <laughs> i guess my point is if you're if you have a problem that's solved by a brand cleanly in 30 seconds in a short film, I think that is permissible. But but to Oren's point, you know, every spot has either the branding right up top, literally the first or second sentence, within 10 seconds, basically, for, for YouTube pre-roll purposes, or the problem is so explicitly tied to the product 
that you can't help but already kind of think or be surprised in some way by the product as a result of the payoff, basically. So if you have a short film that is that specific, you know, if it's like a someone who's super horny and they need condoms or something like really, truly on the nose, then I think it, it could work, especially if it looks great. But for the most part, basically what, what you're saying, Oren, is if you're kidding yourself, we all know you're kidding yourself. Don't waste anybody's time. It's, yeah, it'd be also, worse to put something bad that doesn't fit and feels ham-fisted than it is to just show your very best work and hope for the best. Yeah, or if your reel is made up of three spots, three 30-second spots, and they're all kind of like funny stories with a brand at the end, then then it's obvious that you didn't do three different commercials. Because having a commercial that's third, 27 seconds of content with a three-second brand at the end that was not mentioned at all up until now is not a common thing. It's, you know, it's something that people do to recut their footage into a commercial. Someone's yeah. real pissed off for and he is and not happy about this. No, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm just like, I, I just think it's bad, you know, just like, it's no, just, well, send me some example. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, obviously I don't need you to go search for things, but I think that a lot of people that are trying to make spec commercials don't think like marketing people and like advertising people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, shows in their specs and in a a perfect spec people don't know if it's a real commercial or not here is the overall theme of this episode from oren kaplan yes you have to take it seriously if you want to if you want to play in the big leagues you have to be analytical you have to be smart you have to be tactical that's really all you're trying to say yeah and also you have to love commercials and so it's like the people like like i love the way carlin said it earlier it's like oh yeah i'll just do these shitty commercials until you know I get a job because who wants to do commercials? Commercials suck, right? And my high five, like everyone knows commercials suck. Like those people don't become commercial directors. Mm-hmm. Like you have to kind of like commercials and appreciate them and watch them and study them. Um, and then and then you can make a good spec. But if you just have an idea for a funny sketch and you put a brand at the end, then it, I don't know how much work that leads to. Unless it's the funniest thing of all time, you know, and it has a celebrity in it. Okay, cool. So, any other myths you guys want to throw in there, or should I go to my, get to my list of pros? We'll probably we'll probably get to a lot of things. Well, I don't know if this is a myth per se, but I I like I told y'all that I just taught a commercial class to some to like a women's film group, and uh, the, something that tended to resonate with, with them is a uh, I was like, if you do it all, if you're like I think you're going to be a commercial director who does it all, you're not going to book any jobs. Oh, that's so, great. Like, that's great. The you can't myth- be the writer, director, DP, producer, editor. Or even like like when I started out directing commercials and branded stuff, I did a lot of documentary and lifestyle stuff. Oh, I see. And mm-hmm. I had comedy stuff. And like you can't use both. I couldn't put some docu stuff and some comedy stuff on a reel to get a job. Like they're two totally separate tracks. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, yeah, I don't know. There might be this myth that like you have a great documentary short and then you have a great comedy short and like those two things together will get you a job and they won't mm-hmm. yeah that's right. true. the myth is that variety and range have value they yeah. don't it has not, no value carlin do you know i have a like a secret animal reel yes because you did that sick russian cat job i'm so jealous <laughs> yeah yeah i i like uh well that and a handful of other animal related spots so like it's not the the cool jobs that I am, you know, uh, posting about a ton or they're not on like my reps website and stuff, but they do all know like 
if an animal job comes across their their radar that they do put together a real i have done a slop i've directed a sloth i've directed a cat wow all i want to do is direct cats uh Cats, Ugh. cats are harder than dogs. I'll, I'll say that for sure. You can train a puppy, well, obviously, a lot but I enjoy yeah. a challenge. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> if you want to shoot some puppy specs, uh, I know someone with a very agile dog. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> questionably. Yeah, okay. yeah, look, she's mainly good at her <laughs> agility training tonight. She was bad. Um, okay, okay, let's get on. into the pros. So, honestly. Um, at first, like I started with my cons list because I just have like, you know, a lot of complaints because I like to complain. It's like a Jewish thing, I think. But then, uh, then I was like, yeah, actually, there's a lot of pros. So these are some reasons I like directing commercials. Number one is you tend to make a, a pretty good amount of money from directing a commercial relative to how much time you spend. So I'd say probably like a mid-level director like us makes somewhere between Five to fifteen thousand dollars per shoot day. So if you have a two day shoot, you know you could make ten grand. You could make thirty grand. You know, so, mm-hmm. somewhere in that. Right? And obviously, um, that that payment all includes the prep you've done. But the mm-hmm. prep tends to be short, two weeks maybe, a week or two weeks. And post sometimes it's three days. And- sometimes it's three days, and then post you can. In America, usually can be involved as uh, you can try to stay as involved as you can, but you could also say, "Sorry, I have another job," and take off and not mm-hmm. really do much at all in post if if you really don't care about honestly it you're lucky if you get more than one round like i feel like i get to do yeah. like a, a, a good fine cut that i'm feeling excited about and then i get sent the finals and may, maybe i get to be around for color maybe right and then there's kind I've of been, this... yeah i've been cut out of post a lot lately but that's a different con yeah, that's what editors do uh-huh. Um, and then, yeah, and kind of the general rule is like somewhere between five to ten percent of the production budget is what goes to the director. So you do a hundred thousand dollar commercial, you would get like five to ten thousand dollars. You know, you do a million dollar commercial, you get like fifty to a hundred thousand um, dollars. And now, if you're famous, it's a whole different ballpark. You know, if you do hire a David Fincher, or Michelle Gondry, Ava DuVernay, Scorsese, whatever to direct to do a commercial, they they are paid as as if a celebrity gets paid to be in the commercial, which is a totally different way to calculate money. I think. So that's my, my first thing I like. The second thing, uh, after coming from years and years of trying to get people to watch my sketch videos and my YouTube videos, my web shows, my whatever pitches, everything, um, you do not need to worry about getting distribution or viewers on commercial work. Literally, people have spend money to show people your work. Mm-hmm. This is true in narrative also, but like in commercials, it's very true that like the more you work, the more you work. You know, if, if you are shooting commercials, uh, you other people will hire you to shoot commercials. Um, in, a, in a straighter path than like if you sold a TV show pilot script, the odds of that leading you to sell another script are, are not that much higher unless your script gets made and then shot and liked and you get a season and it, right? Like, sure, you can say, like, oh, this person has a deal here and has a deal here. But I, at least for me, I'm constantly like, oh, by the way, I just finished this commercial. I'm sending them out to people and they use them to get me more jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, it's true. Pretty consistently in a different way than, like, um, I think you could do with a feature script. It's, right. You know. And I'm, sh- I'm sure you're going to get to this, Oren, but the turnaround, right, being able to really rapidly, you know, post about <laughs> and brag about and, you know, Instagram about, like, all of this work. um helps 
fuel that fire basically you're getting yeah. people's attention regularly in a way it's that like a feature it's like okay well i'll see you guys in two years hopefully exactly you don't need to commit too much time to each project right it's like a month on a commercial you also get to try out a bunch of new things like on this commercial we're going to do these cool steady cam shots now we're going to get mm-hmm. a techno crane here i'm going to get to work with these interesting actors the blue man group whatever now i'm going to do like a horror comedy thing and today i'm going to do a stunt comedy thing you know and today it's just going to be like a cool visual effect so you get to kind of you, you get to try something and you get to focus like mm-hmm. this 30-second commercial is about this one joke or this one visual effect or this one gag where everything explodes, you know, or we're going to build this great prop. Um, and so compared to narrative stuff, there's just it's it's fun because you get to go through a lot of things and, and do different things. And my final pro is uh, you do kind of get wined and dined in a way that uh, especially, you know, not during COVID um, that doesn't. <laughs> quite happen like in indie film you know yeah i well i think it's sort of delayed too do you know what i mean i think like you know uh having just gotten back from a film festival where i felt wined and dined relatively speaking it's just oh it just took a year and a half basically before (laughs) before you get any of that um but you get it you know depending on how many festivals you you decide to go to and play like you do still get that um but I think it's about the cadence, right? Like the paycheck is more regular. Uh, you know, the rate at which you're doing it is more regular. And the, like the whining and dining is, is more regular. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. corporate sponsored. Yeah. Meals. yeah. And also, you know, a lot of these clients and agency people and stuff, like this is like the big event of their year. And like, they have corporate accounts and stuff. Carlin's eyes are, are, uh, getting larger and glazing over. I used to hate that part um, and have come to like it much more, actually, because I used to not understand that these are our coworkers. These people are our friends as well, or they can be your friends if you like develop relationships with them, and that can be meaningful and valuable and creative also. I, j- I guess I just didn't understand uh, that agency people can be awesome for kind of a long time. Took me a long time to realize because they're always like come. They would be the person who would come over and be like, "Oh, can you make sure that they, you know, uh, enunciate the brand a little bit more or smile when they say it or whatever dumb note they've got?" But it's because they've been through the trenches a little bit more. And the more you work, the more you realize that um, that job is hard, and and they know that it can be a little annoying what they're doing as well. Yeah, they know. They know that I'm annoyed. They can see my. <laughs> they face. know. Yeah, they, they know. know. Okay, yeah. can I say, we will uh... do that. Take where she doesn't do anything interesting. Uh-huh. Request. So the TV still looks too small. I don't know how that's possible. Okay, we'll <laughs> yet change yet another lens and see what happens. Um, what was I going to say? Along the can we add, can I add some more? Yes. Pros? So those are all my pros. There's no other reasons I like. There's tons of more reasons. So, so I would say yeah. so many reasons. I would say lately, what I've really appreciated with commercials is practicing pitching. Because mm. I don't think we realize how invaluable that is. Like, I remember getting on my first, call, you know, the initial calls with the agency and being kind of nervous. Mm-hmm. And now it just feels like, here we go again. You know, it just mm-hmm. it just becomes so much easier. And I, and I know, like, when I'm pitching to write various features and TV shows and blah, blah, blah. I have I'm so much better than at pitching than many, many, many writers because mm-hmm. I'm just we just do it all the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. also your skills in terms of the 
assets that you want to bring, you know, like, oh, you learn more about yourself because through that practice, you learn like, oh, I really love visual aids, or I love to put together, I love to just script everything out or whatever it is, you just learn more about that. And you also sharpen those skills more. So if you know that you like visual aids, you get better and better and better at crafting them. Um, Yeah, we had an agency producer on last week. Alex, I just worked with her and she's like, yeah, we really liked how you did, made that test video and you showed it to us. And I was like, oh, mm. yeah, yeah maybe I should make more, more, make test, more test videos. videos. You make but, a ton of test videos. I feel like that's like your whole steez. I feel like such a slacker compared. Well, to I guess maybe my bigger realization was like, stop killing myself on the treatments. Just make test videos. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. that's but, not but bad, like, actually. That's right. Because everybody's got an awesome treatment. Make a make an awesome treatment. But like, don't worry about making that the most awesome but right. plus it in another direction. That's interesting. Like yeah, that. and to Carlin's point, like you write a TV pilot and you get five meetings, you know, mm-hmm. you go and you see how the first meeting goes and then the second meeting, you fix a couple things. The third one is the big one or whatever. They're probably all on the same day. You don't even have time to process, you know? Yeah, but with commercials, you're pitching on 50 commercials, you know, or no, maybe not 50, like 20 commercials a year. You're getting to get better and better mm-hmm. and better. And I think... I feel like I'm in a really comfortable place. Like I'm so comfortable that I can on the pitch say, look, I didn't, don't really understand this, but this is how I'm approaching it. What do you guys think about this? Like you start understanding how they're working and you're talking their language. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and it's, that all just comes from being able to learn faster. It's like, you know, when the Canon 5D came out or these DSLRs, you know, before that you'd take photos on with film, you'd have to like set your exposure and your shutter speed and all this stuff. And then you'd wait like three days to see if you got it right. And as soon as these cameras came out where you can, they're digital and you can see the results right away, all these amazing photographers came out of nowhere because you can learn like a hundred times as fast. And that's kind of like, I think Carla, what you're saying with commercials is like, Mm -hmm. just get so much practice seeing how different people operate and react. And and maybe your skin gets a little thicker too, because you know, Maybe five people to say have, that. Yeah, look bored, but they actually love you at the end. And inevitably, the more that you pitch on, you won't get all, you know, you can have a good batting average, but you're not going to get every single one. And I, I even have like a sense of humor now about the stuff I don't get. I think, Orin, you know this, but I was pitching on this Pizza Hut commercial earlier this year that I was like, I knew I was like absolutely not going to get. So I just fucking went for it. And I pitched this crazy idea. They didn't hire me, but it was like, oh, well, you know, I'm just like, sure. Moving yeah, on, yeah. you know? And like, I saw the commercial and I was like, yeah, that's not what I, that's not what I pitched. <laughs> <laughs> that's very different. Uh, but like, it's, it was fun for me to pitch on it, to be like, fuck it. I'm just going to like, sure. see what happens, you know? Whereas when I was starting out, I just was so desperate to win every job. But mm-hmm. now when you book enough jobs, you kind of just have a, you're more relaxed about it. And that's like yeah. one of the pros of, of working in this field. Um, Matt, you got any other pros? I got a pro. Yeah. The toys, right? Like the, the, the ability to just like ask for an expensive thing for one shot, two shots isn't out of the ordinary because there's not that many shots that we're talking about, right? Like, you know, if you were like, hey, I really need the, a technocrane for one shot. That's kind of just in the middle of my feature. It's probably not going to make a ton of sense, but you know, because of the scale and the speed and all of that, um, it you just get more toys earlier in your career. I would say, you know, like I mean, it's it's not a coincidence that like plenty of indie features are shot with the exact same budget that we shoot commercials at, mm-hmm. and yeah. so you're right. 
Yeah, all the time. I knew that, but I was like, fuck. You're like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> not, not only that, guys. I, I know all of us have complained about the size of budgets for like that we ha- would have shot something like a feature ourselves and been yeah. happy with. You know what I mean? Right. Like we're, we're rolling our eyes at like. I know. Three hundred, four hundred thousand. But once sometimes. we go through our list of cons, it'll be very clear why we're rolling our eyes. Um, yeah, yeah. And yes, I, but I yeah, the, the the toys the are, toys. and also uh, one uh, one final pro, kind of going off the uh, the indie feature thing. It's special to to be able to take the time to get every single frame of thirty seconds as perfect as you possibly can. That's a sort of practice that you don't often get to do in narrative, right? When, especially when you're making a web series or a short film or even those first couple features, you're going to shoot 30 seconds, hour one, uh, day one. You know, you're going to just be cranking so hard because you're trying to make an hour in 15 days, 16 days or whatever. So like the, the ability to just make 30 seconds perfect rather right. than like... Like you get you know, in the grade, you can work on each shot for like fifteen minutes. Easy, never do easy. Yeah, yeah. All all of that stuff. You're gonna mm-hmm. have conversations about what's gonna be in the background. Let's really dig in on this cast. All of that stuff. You just get to kind of really learn what's important to your own art as it applies elsewhere, but like in a really contained and supported way. So it's another version of of having lots of toys. You just have more support to really kind of dig in and push yourself to be as perfect as you possibly can in crafting these images. Cool. And Carlin, do you have one last pro? Boy, I'm running on this practice kick, but just quickly on the practice front, I do think I haven't directed TV yet, but I have developed feature with the studio. And I think um, the politics on set of a commercial, like working with the agency and the client uh, is, has been really great training for me in terms of like how to choose my battles because you just mm-hmm. can't choose them all. Mm-hmm. And so that's been really great practice. Um, and, and also to read, read power structure. And I love this Carlin so much, but you also can see like power structures, right? Like you, like you realize that, Oh, some people are on my side, but not everyone. Or some people disagree. There's infighting amongst them. You know, there's a whole other, just like a studio, there's a whole other group of people who've had a history that you're kind of trying, you're just dropping into, and the better that you can understand that and like read any signals or cues and like who who you align yourself with, all of that, those politics of it are, are really important as well. For sure. Mm-hmm. I had one more quick thing. Okay, I think hiring your friends is really great too because then, well, everyone loves money, everyone loves to work, but also if you if you build a community through doing commercials they'll often help you on your own projects mm-hmm, 100%. so there's that yes, that is a really good one yeah, that's orin is ready to get to the con so let's do it <laughs> well, let's get uh, there because that's where the majority of this conversation is going to be um <laughs> but uh yeah so i split up the cons into four categories and uh <laughs> volume and we, one <laughs> Those categories are getting jobs, prepping jobs, production, and post. And uh-huh. maybe um, we'll go one one section at a time, and I'll tell you my list. And I could we could literally do an episode on each thing on my list, but I'm just going to fly through. And them. you will, but continue. So cons. Okay, so getting jobs, right? This is uh, getting commercial jobs. We've already done an entire episode on how it works with agencies and shortlists and you know sales reps and all that stuff. You can listen to it if you want uh, to know the mechanics of it, but. Once you get the opportunity to pitch on a commercial, you have to write a treatment 
Uh, oftentimes, you'll spend between two days to a week on it. It will be somewhere between five to 50 pages. Uh, it will have all the best graphics, the best ideas you've ever had. Music, maybe you'll edit things, you'll talk to people, you'll scout stuff. You'll do all this insane amount of work. Um, and a high number of times, they'll be like, actually, they're just going to hire the same person that did it last year. Um, like you're, you do so much work for free where you're like finding a way to fall in love with the idea that, um, that you're not paid for, uh, which is devastating. And then you can't really use it for anything else, you know, especially because you're, you're pitching on the agency's idea. Um, the second thing is, uh, the, just the chaos of reels of trying to constantly being judged by, you know, your three commercials and how similar they, not only how similar are they to the thing that that you're trying to get the job for, but they also have to be good at the same time. And if you have two great commercials and one kind of bad commercial, but it has like a sloth in it and you put it on there because they mentioned a sloth, they'll be like, oh, well, the sloth spot sucks and we're never going to hire Enla. Mm-hmm. You know, like... I do there, wish there that is... sloth one was a little tighter. I do wish it was better. <laughs> oh, it's the sloth I haven't one. seen it. A little I slow. See it. Oh, it's a little slow. Um, and then just from the, the money standpoint, it's a race to the bottom. You know, you are teamed up with a production company that is bidding on this commercial and they tell you, hey, we want a three day shoot in Laughlin, Nevada, and we have $160,000 for it. And so now this production company is like, okay, we got to hit $160,000. You can't have this and you can't I, have that. You can't have this. I, I want to push back a tiny bit on that. A sure. producer once said to me um, about his production company that he, he, you need to know what weight class you're in, right? He was like, look, I know they're going out to a Ferrari and a Mercedes, and I know I'm the Honda Accord, right? Um, <laughs> but but I think that... To, the most reliable, dependent, sure. long-lasting yeah, yeah. car. Right, but we're talking about how expensive they are, right? And so uh, I think that sometimes it feels like we're in a race to the bottom because I think budgets are sh- certainly shrinking, but I think that sometimes you know, agencies are going to different production companies so that they can see like, okay, this is what the premium bid looks like. This is maybe the director that we really, really want, but maybe they're, maybe I don't have enough money to do that. And so I think there's a little bit of calculus that they're doing on their side as well. And so sometimes the onus is on the production company to know really where they are in that ranking because you know, sometimes the job is come in exactly on budget. Sometimes the job is coming exact, like come in the lowest and that's how you're going to be competitive. And you just have to know where you are in the ecosystem. Sure. That's definitely true. But I guess there's also just this thing where they'll be like, Oh, can you add a second day where you shoot this thing? Or it'll be a half day. Can you do this? They, they just can keep asking you for things. And, Carlin, this is, this is in the, general, the you will say that yes. I've heard. Or, Orin's just been beaten down by adding gifts and social pieces this is the this is the yeah. moment where where you know you're getting piled on, yeah. And you're not wrong, Orin. I know I give you a hard time about this on the show and and, all, and personally as well. But like uh, that that sometimes that just boils down to like who's doing what and what you can push back on. Do you know what I mean, Carlin? Do you agree? Right. Like that. But my, it... my point being, like sometimes a producer has to say no, and depending on which producer you're working with, yeah. Yeah, but but in the in the time when you're trying to get the job, the instinct is to say like, yeah, we can figure out a way to do that. You know, it's not it's not reality. It's like, what can I? What should we say to get this job? Because we've already done all this work to try to get the job. I, I I understand where that where you're coming from on that, and I I 
my instinct would be to do that as well sometimes. But I, I have observed my favorite producers push back and say, listen, we want to do a really good job. And so we know what's pay- what's possible. And we have the track record to prove that we know what's possible. And that's why we're talking. So if you want to add that, this is what it's going to cost. And I've, I've segmented it out into the budget. So like, if that's really important to you, we can go ahead and add it. Not a big deal. But this is what it costs. And like being really crystal clear with that, I think sometimes is is maybe the way to go. I don't I'm not trying to put down the people that you're working with or I, I, I guess I'm saying like sometimes it's about setting the table and setting boundaries is what what I'm talking about. Yeah, but I, sure. I, I guess I think we don't often have the power to do that is maybe your point. We don't have the power. Yeah, I'm mainly talking about us as directors. Mm-hmm. And when they say, hey, good news, we got another 15 grand for you to shoot this extra 15 second bumper in the day. You're like, who the fuck cares? I don't have more time just because you got me another, like, actually, this yeah. job I'm working on right now. They're like, hey, we're going to pay you a little more. We know it's harder than we thought. And I'm like, I thank you. I really appreciate that. It doesn't help us squeeze more minutes into the day that we don't yeah. have, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And the producers only. Like it, it is, it is this weird thing. There's this thing I've always like uh, with union and non-union stuff. I've always been like, why are we shooting non-union? You know, mm-hmm. like we should shoot union. <laughs> and everyone's like, well, we they want us to hit this number on the budget, and you mm-hmm. can't afford to pay the fringes on this number. So it's like then if, if we just said no to those jobs, then we would just never work. Carlin, what do you, I, I want to hear your, your thoughts on this, Carlin, because Orna and I have had this conversation a thousand times. You know, I mean, the production company I'm working with now, I don't, I, I'm not even like that privy to these conversations. I think they just kind of shield me from it. So like if I, if I put something in my treatment that's like, oh, that's not in the budget, then that's a conversation. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I'm not really that concerned about it until I win the job. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, and that is the thing you're in this weird mode where you're just kind of promising things. Yeah. Um, and you know, yeah. you know, Carla in your last job, you had that they had wanted to shoot a ton of stuff and they gave you the talent for like 15 minutes. And they were four hours late. And we only had them for six hours. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. That's the stuff. But I we, know. It was a fucking nightmare. Oh, but in the pitching that's phase, so four hours late for six hours. We're promising the world. What, yeah. but, and sorry, not to get off on a tangent No, we here. can, I'm happy to talk about it. Four hours <laughs> late, cry. but they, they weren't like, oh, oh, don't worry, we'll be we'll be good, we'll give you the full six. They were just four hours they late. They did say that. No, they said we'll give you oh, the good. full six, so that was good, but you know, yeah, if the, we started at 8 a.m. The crew had already been there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we started at 8 a.m. We were in a place where they were working in 10 hours schedules, mm-hmm. so the talent was supposed to get there at noon, they got there mm-hmm. at four. Um. Yeah, and they you were like, have you, people with them. Have you seen <laughs> this Instagram crazy. feed IA stories? I want you to <laughs> read know. it real, real quick, buddy. It was um, and the client just made it so much worse. It was just like if that if that was at least the 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 actor or whatever you want to call that person being four hours late was the least of my problems. <laughs> that was the least of my problems. Right. Well, let let's jump into this. Um, <laughs> I have only have two other things, two other cons about getting jobs. Another one is that is that a lot of times the concepts you're given are kind of derivative of things mm-hmm. that some creative director or copywriter saw on TikTok or saw. So a lot of times your marketing materials are, are like derivative. And because you're trying to get the job, you have to like tell them that you love them and try to put your own spin and plus them. But but it is it's, it's hard to be revolutionary in um, mm-hmm. in this process of advertising. Um, yeah. Or even like artistic, you know. Uh, yeah. And those are the jobs I win always. I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah, we've all, we've yeah, all I done love, that. I love it so much. Because they just want it. It's because that thing where they want to see that it's worked before. So now they'll do it because it worked before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing, which is kind of something that it took me a couple of years to learn, but it's a big thing. And, it, and it's really related to what Matt and I are like debating about is that you yes you want to get the job for you and sometimes you're like actually i don't really like this creative or i don't really like this budget or i don't Mm -hmm. this isn't super convenient for me but if you don't get that job there's an entire production company behind you that also doesn't get the job so you fighting to get the job even if it's not like your favorite job it it, it's like you're supporting a company Mm -hmm. and so it's an extra onus on you it's not like if you're pitching to get a directing gig on a tv show you know you don't get it. Some other director will get it. Same company will produce my it. My reps still don't get paid then if I don't book jobs. Eh, right. it's, di- it's slightly different. But, I, it, you, know. you know, it's it's not that different, though, Carlin. I I think I hear you, Oren, and I think that we have special relationships with a lot of the people that we work with. And we're, we're friends yeah. and we care about each other and we want their businesses to thrive. And by the way, they, they they've our... made a bid and they've talked to the producer and they've spent three weeks on this as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that... Taking a step back, the business model for them can't be everything's on Oren or the lights get unplugged. Like that's not a good business model. And so I appreciate that you you feel the pressure, but in the same way that you know Carlin, you know, if CAA is like, oh Carlin, sorry, we didn't make your movie, they are not like, okay, well I guess uh, mm-hmm. the lease is up tomorrow. Like that's that's crazy talk, right? And and on smaller scale things and smaller companies. You know, sometimes it feels that way. Like if their whole plan is Be that, nice to yourself. yeah. If if they're literally they're all, they're all their chips are on Oren winning this job, then they're not good business people. Next uh, category of um, challenges I find in commercial directing, um, and this is in prepping jobs. So first of all, Matt already brought this up, but the hierarchy. You know, uh, as a director, 
up until now, they've treated you like the god of directing. We love your vision. We love your ideas. We love everything. We're going to go with you. This is between when you get the job and when you start prepping. But as soon as you start prepping, you realize how low on the totem pole you are. Um, Can I tell a quick story? Sure. A lady at a very large agency, I booked the job. And she says to me, she's like a French accent. She's like, what is this? It is meaningless. I, nothing is cool. It's, it doesn't mean anything. Why is, why'd you do that? You know, she's like, why this? And I'm like, you, you hired me. That's in, this is an insane conversation to me. But I was like, wow. This, this is about what? Like your storyboards or what? Yeah, my treatment. I guess they went back over my treatment and they were like, this is, what does all this mean? This is after like, you got the job. <laughs> yes, and I'm like, I mean, it to be means fair, like she's it's probably a got a little bit of a point, you know, like, I'm oh, like, it uh, is meaningless. <laughs> That's the point of commercials, right? You're gonna keep the camera active. <laughs> what do you mean? Come on, it was wild, energy. and I thought, yeah, and it yeah. was just a wild, and I thought, you know, this is a good example of having thick skin because I had to keep a straight face on this Zoom mm-hmm. while this woman was just laying yeah. into me. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Right. And it's um, that low on the totem pole. Sometimes. Yeah, so you are, especially in prep when you're talking to the agency, pretty much everyone at the agency is above you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and, and a lot of times there's one person with, like, not great ideas that some people are afraid of. And they'll pitch something and you have to explore it, even though it makes no sense, you know, for mm-hmm. your concept. I, I think going back to the, the pros of uh, practice, that will happen throughout your career in every other aspect as well. You know, like, especially in like a group setting, you know, one young executive or executive with a chip on their shoulder will bring something up and you still have to talk about it. You still have to keep a straight face to Carlin's point. Mm-hmm. And the better you get at kind of plussing that idea or redirecting it or or even shutting it down in a in a positive way, uh, the better. And that doesn't always happen to Orrin's point. There are, you know, the agency people, yeah. they are the boss, right? Like if they push back, but like the better you can get at like deflecting that stuff, that, that will serve you in the future as well. Yeah, and you might be someone that's directed... 80 commercials and they've worked on and this is their first commercial campaign and they really like an actor mm-hmm. from the bachelor and so you mm-hmm. have to cast them you know even yeah. though you could have cast you know aubrey plaza but mm-hmm. <laughs> now you have to use this person so. um and so the next thing is once you realize you're on the bottom of the totem pole creatively then almost all these places have legal departments that will come in and tell you all your great ideas don't uh, you know, that's a little dangerous. That promotes violence. This feels a little risky. Mm-hmm. They're so sensitive about everything that, you know, and to me, this is very different than like an HBO show or or even like Bro, the viral they've video. Got, they, they've all got corporate departments. Yes, they've all got but legal dude, teams look at and Game they all push Thrones. back. They all push back. And the reason that Game of Thrones gets to do the shit that they do, yes, it's HBO, but it's also that track record. Mm-hmm. Right. But you can't bring that up on a commercial. You can't be like, well, they did it on Game of Thrones. They chopped off someone's head. Um, sure, but sure. in commercials, they, they will literally be like, well, we, you can't say Amazon Prime. Like, you have to say either Amazon or Prime. So this, and you're like, yeah, but the whole thing is a rap video on this, how this rhymes with something. They're like, yeah, just find something else, you know? Yeah. Like that, those are the types of notes you get in commercials because the artistic integrity is, is also low on the totem pole compared to narrative stuff, even TV shows, even like a, you know, ABC sitcom or whatever. 
there will be people high up on the uh, like in the hierarchy that care about the quality of the show more than a lot of things. So though you'll have Chuck Lorre pushing back against the legal department instead of like the, the person that's low. But in commercials, sometimes they're like, just figure it out. Yeah, legal says we can't do any of this mm-hmm. stuff. And you're like, this is mm-hmm. what we pitched and why we got the job. Yeah. Um, and the reference you showed me from TikTok is this is what they do. And they're like, yeah, well, I guess we can't do that. So just figure out something else. Then the other thing, we already said commercials have crazy fast schedules generally. Um, there's a lot of last minute changes unless you have a last minute change where you're like, ooh, I had this great idea for this line of dialogue. Nine out of 10 times, they'll come back and say, sorry, the client already approved this. Do not yeah. change it. But then you'll be on set the morning of and they'll be like, hey, um, you know, the client wanted us to try all these, like, you know, to n- not not do steady cam shots anymore, just static shots. You're like, well, the whole thing is like a one run the steady cam. They're like, yeah, just do the, you know, they can change things last minute as much as they want, but you can't change anything last minute from my experience. That, uh, that and, is true. And this is a uh, next con in prepping jobs is uh, they will demand storyboards and shot lists um, at the most awkward times. And it, I don't know about you, but I always get offended. <laughs> like, um, can we see your shot list? And you're like, what are you talking about? We, <laughs> we don't even know what we're shooting. It yet. is funny. I rarely get asked for shot lists. Really? Mm. Yeah. Well, maybe they don't trust your shot list. I get asked for shot lists. <laughs> I mean, I like to board things. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I don't know that people are ever like, give me your shot list. We need evidence of it or something. Yeah. I mean, you hear all these amazing stories of, I know he's not cool, but like Roman Polanski, like going into. Uh, I know he's canceled, <laughs> and yet. Yeah, sorry. It's just like I it's think. Okay. Famously, uh, Rosemary's Baby. You know, they blocked and figured things out like on the day. You know, the first mm-hmm. half of the day they would block things. They'd let the actors find where they need to go, and then they'd light it at lunch, and then they'd shoot it after lunch. You know, and you can't in commercials. It's like they want to know every single shot. And every single board and angle and everything. But when you ask them, you know, for something, they'll be like, yeah, we don't know. It'll be either this or this, you know, but but they expect such precision from the director. Let me ask, Gordon, when are they asking for that that information? Is it for the book? Is it is someone looking it over? Is the AD trying to figure out how long the day, like how to schedule the day? When are people asking for your shot lists? Who hurt you, Oren? Yeah, the AD, the producer. And again, this isn't 100% the I'm not just complaining about the agency. It's it's more the process. Mm-hmm. People very early on will ask you to give them things that you have not figured out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, like a you don't shot have list. location, you yeah, don't have a concept, you don't have actors locked. It's like you have nothing locked. And then sometimes you do, I like on this last job that I just did, you know, we went in and uh, two days early and like, you know, took great photos of every single mm-hmm. shot and then that you know within 48 hours we'd already had three new scripts with completely different new locations <laughs> new locations yeah oh yeah yeah new locations so you're like wow okay so this is just totally brand new it doesn't and they have zero sympathy new. for you having done yeah. all that work and then yeah. now you have to redo it all they, they, they will just waste your time with abandon you know, again, yes. I guess I guess they're paying you well. <laughs> yeah, I uh, think they they yeah. are, but I do think that like this is a slight tangent, but I I I feel like I've been lucky to balance narrative and commercial work this year. However, when you book a commercial job, they own you, and that is something that I I had to take a break from directing commercials this year because I was like I can't I can't juggle both because like when I book yeah. a commercial, 
They just at eleven thirty, they, they'll schedule a meeting for you at eleven forty-five with the agency yes, and the client. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so when when you book the jobs, like you can expect until you shoot, until it, you know when you're the rec- recommend till it awards whatever, like you're theirs, and you bet you can't have a life outside yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. I think it some of it comes from it's everyone else's full time job. So it's not unreasonable mm-hmm. if you all were in the same office to hop on Slack and be like, hey, guys, let's uh, we should circle up in 15. Right. Like, is everyone's calendars clear? Great. Awesome. I'll set it up. I think that's where it comes from. But it does create an intense amount of stress on us because we're typically juggling a few other things. We're probably writing another treatment or, mm-hmm. you know, trying to, you know, squeeze in time to actually write our own things or you're on a deadline for something or whatever. And that stuff, there is a mental weight of just like being on call to like tweak things all the time. Yeah. Next hard part about prepping jobs, casting. I mean, if you've never been to a commercial casting as a director, it's just like a total insane nightmare especially in the days of zoom uh every casting session i feel like it's on me to talk for four hours straight uh no one is saying anything all you you are being judged as a director we've talked a lot about casting sessions before but nowadays with where everyone's on mute and has their cameras off and they're just watching you direct actors over and over and talk them through technical issues it's tough and then you have these amazing actors you find and you're like so excited because you're all on the same page. And then the client decides to cast the people that are the worst actors from your audition because they like a look. or something. Yeah. Yeah. The, or, the cadence of it is hard. Yeah. The rhythm. Or what's hard. happened lately to me is I go through rounds and rounds. This has happened on three commercials this year. Like we go through rounds of commercials and they don't even cast anyone from the cat. They just pick their <laughs> own people or ask for my friends. Oh, that's Has that ever nice. happened to you? That's happened three times this I year, will, and it's just I will breaks bring my in heart for the I'll be actors. Like, the, no, but I, I will say this: I certainly am. I'm calling back way more people because a self tape isn't super helpful, and so sessions are no. much longer. What used to be an hour, an hour yeah. and a half, is now three or four hours, and that is brutal. Yeah, 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 and sometimes you have to cast the whole family, or you're doing four commercials, and you're casting all these different things, and you got to cast Remember twelve people in a day. When I texted you, Warren, and I was like, I, I had to watch like two hundred tapes in a day. Yeah, yeah, because I had twins. Yeah, I, that's the thing I posted today. It was like had twins in it, but they wanted to see twins for each part plus normal people for each part. So it like quadruple, and that was only one of three spots. So it was just kind of like. This is so crazy, you know, and they're just like, yeah, you can do it. You can watch 300 tapes by tonight at 7 p.m. And you're like, okay. Well, the truth is they just don't expect you to watch all of it, you know. I know. And that's why I watch. I mean, I watch at least the beginning of every one. Usually when I get to like 200, I'm like, no, this person will never get it. Yeah. I'll skip past the awkward like zoom out full body shot. I'm like, can we put this at the end? This is like so ridiculous. (laughs) Why are we doing that? You can ask for that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and by the way, the... commercials, very often, there's no dialogue for this audition. And then you have 15 people from the agency and client production company watching you try to direct someone to smile, you know, in 14 different ways. Yeah. And it's, it's just weird. Um, and it's difficult. And I, I love actors. So I think, you know, and I, I, I get used to finding the beats of the commercial in auditions that mm-hmm. there's value to them, but they are so draining physically and emotionally and 
like you guys said, half the time they don't pick the person you want to cast. And so it's, it's like so much work to not get something. But as the director, they really want your opinion. Mm-hmm. But, but then the client doesn't hear your opinion, you know? It's just the agency. So it, it's, it's, um, it's, I find casting commercials much more difficult than casting narrative stuff. Yeah, I feel like yes. it's 50-50. Like, I feel if you really are like, this is the one. Oh, it's but, happened to me three times in a row, and we ended up casting not the one. Do you ha- So yeah. let me ask you this. Have you ever done the thing where you, like, the reco is, like, the one, and then you kind of maybe throw in a sandbag or two? Yes, and they'll always cast the sandbag. sandbag. I one know, time, I, just, I did that recently, yeah. and I'm like, fuck. Yeah. I was doing yeah. a commercial where they wanted a Midwestern PTA mom, and just as a ringer, we put in this woman... <laughs> With a British accent, um, that was pretty much like a British Robin Wright pen. Yeah, yeah. And then, and it was for this Japanese video game company. And then they're like, "Yeah, we got to go with her." And I'm like, "This, this, the whole concept is about her being this PTA mom in like the Midwest." And they're like, "Japanese find people speaking very proper about very silly things, very funny." And I'm like, "Okay." Honestly, that is true, though. People love Ted Lasso. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Yeah, British, a lot of British people plus Jason Sudeikis. Anyways, mm-hmm. continue. Um, okay, next thing: agency scripts. The you know sometimes they're not that great, and you try to change them and fix them and plus them, and they'll be like, "Thank you," and then the copywriter will uh, cancel every, all the changes you made. They just want you to do what they wrote because it's <laughs> yep. their job. I uh, joke that I we get hired to make things funny and great, and we like have all these great ideas, and that's how you get the job. But then you just go back to the original to what boards. They, yeah. You guys, that's why I'm always like improv, right? Because improv and rewriting the joke or the tag are the same thing. See, you say this and agencies always say we want improv. But from my experience, yeah, A, they never use a lot of improv. But B, they this goes back to like shot lists and storyboards. They want to know what we're shooting. Mm-hmm. At least my team wants to know what we're shooting before we go there. And I'm always pressed on time so i'm never going to be like yeah let's try it 10 different ways because already the agency has asked us to do it 10 different ways I, I, but i think that it 10 different ways is different than like oh i can sharpen this button right we're really we're, what, what i'm really saying is like um if the core of the idea is bad if the, if there's not any true comedic value to what they're aiming at that's one thing. But if it's just like a little dull and could just be cleaned up and tightened and sharpened and they don't see that exactly, sometimes showing them will illuminate that. I, I had a job not that long ago, actually, that like uh, I had a really good creative experience with the with the whole agency and the spot is funnier because of it, for sure. And it took a little bit of time and 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 also you know, in auditions, you can kind of like try and get people there. And it's maybe under the auspices of like, you know, filling in the holes of what would be a montage or whatever, but you can kind of find stuff and, and sort of, again, set the table, set expectations and sort of, you know, it it starts as quote unquote improv and then eventually sort of just becomes the script that can happen. That does happen. Yeah. In my experience, there, there's been really great creatives that write really amazing things or, or like what you're saying, we work together to make a better script. But I'd say about 50% of the time, the copywriters are sensitive and they uh, want to shoot what they wrote. And you can do improv and you can try to show them that this is funnier and people can laugh and whatever. But when the edit comes through, 
the production company says, let's give them a version as scripted. It's just literally today happened. You know, there's a director's cut and there's like the as legal as the scripted cut. And they're like, yeah, we're just going to go with the as legal as the scripted cut. So great. So I wasted a ton of time on set shooting this stuff. So that that's my, you know, I, I still try to do it and I still try to plus things when I can. But like, at least for me, I find that like going with the flow and then just doing slight moves. Um, well, well I, I think we're saying the same thing, though, right? Yeah, it, but I'm just saying this is one of the cons of directing commercials sure. is that you cannot come in and like really reform any dialogue in the way that you could with, you know, if you made a short film or you made mm-hmm. a thing, even if you worked with like a, a write, if you, even if you didn't write it, you know, a feature, um, you know, TV might be a little different, but um, there, there's like egos involved in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of the, like the client approved it. So this is what we have to do. Uh, language that's used in advertising. Um, so uh, my last two complaints about prepping jobs. Oh are, boy. Um, we may have to hustle. This is I know, boring. I know. We have to hustle this along, buddy. Okay, I'm going. Non-union casting. Every agency wants to do it now. It just drives me totally bonkers. And if you make the shittiest, lowest budget short in the world, you can use SAG actors. Um, but you'll do a half a million dollar commercial. And they're like, yeah, we decided to go non-union. You're like, why? Like, yeah, you know, we just want to put it everywhere without paying anyone. You're like, well, you know, we'll get way better actors if we go union. And they'll be like, uh, yeah, they're, they want to go non-union. Um, and it's it's frustrating. Um, and I'm sure you guys agree. And then uh, and the last thing is like the yes anding of all bad ideas <laughs> um, <laughs> that we have to do. Um, I find that. True. I find that. Uh, grading on my soul. Um, okay, let's hop into production. Um, and maybe, I, is it cool if we do the same thing? I'll kind of run through this list Hit and it. you guys can just Hit plus it. it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so something I've found a lot lately is that I'm kind of like stuck between the crew and the agency. You know, the agency wants mm-hmm. to get all these things and the DP is like, oh, let's do this cool shot or this cool shot. And you agree with the DP, but you have to say, I'm sorry, we can't do that because the agency just asked us to do five versions of this thing and we're not going to have time to set up this dolly shot that you think is really cool that I also think is cool but uh, you know it, like I'm finding that I'm negotiating between my crew my production designer who like wants to put a really cool thing my costumer my you know cinematographer and the agency and not really going by what I love artistically or creatively but by what you know I feel like yeah, the agency wants me to do. There's yeah. a couple things, and they're also paying the bills, which so it makes right, sense. right, right. I I, th- I think the thing that's tricky is that um, you don't want your your team to check out, right? Like, and that, that's really what we're talking about this whole way through. If we check out, a we don't work work more, but b like the thing isn't as good as it could be, and that means that we don't get to do more work, and we're also unhappy for, because of it, right? But that same thing mm-hmm. happens to all of your department heads. So you can every once in a while be like, hey, listen, I know it would be better. I really just need you to do the simple version because we've got other stuff to get to. But like you do that too many times in a row and they just check out. You know, I've seen it happen before, you know, where people are just like, "Okay, I see what this is now. Mm -hmm. I'll just hose it down. I got it. And you're it hurts. Boy, put it on a tripod and the DP is is like on their phone. Yeah, it stinks. It's nothing. You're asking them to do nothing. It's brutal. Brutal, yeah, um, and it's hard to not take it personally. Yeah, this also uh, the agency has to approve every take that you do. If you want to move on to the next setup, they have to say good. And 
oftentimes if you've done two takes and you think they're great, there will be someone that will be like, well, should we try it like this? And you're like, okay. (laughs) And you have to do all these extra takes because a lot of people, and you know, this is a mean way to think of it. I I don't think it's exactly true, but, but sometimes people feel like they need to justify their being on set, you know, and, one way to do that is to ask to try a few different versions, you know, mm-hmm. um, even if the takes we got are great and we're two hours behind, you know, it's very slow. Um, and then on top of that, these takes, and this is something I feel like the agency doesn't care enough about, but I'm always anxious about it is we're making 30 second commercials and 15 second commercials. And like a line needs to fit in three seconds sometimes. So if the camera pans over, they say their line and they, you know, take a step and do something. You're like, no, that, this is taking you too long. You need to say your line as you're doing this thing. And, um, you know, just, just a, this thing you have to worry about that you never would have to worry about in a narrative project, you know, not, not to yeah. this um, fine a point. Uh, and you might have to shoot something a little, like let's drop two words for the 15 second version. Um, just, just these things that are like removing the art and the being in the moment and making it just so technical for a, like a non-artistic Yeah, that that stuff doesn't bother me as long as everyone is aware of how long 15 seconds are and what all of the deliverables are, because then you can prep for it. It gets a little crunchier when it's like a loose 30, but also Mm -hmm. we've got 15, we've got a, a laundry list of other deliverables that we haven't really thought about that can get hard. You know, I, I, I just like to prepare more. I like to be able to be like, okay, we know exactly how long this 15 second spot is. This is what we're going to, we're going to pick up the pieces for it. And um, I think that speaks to Oren, your, your point of like, it's our job to just be prepared as prepared as possible to execute the exact thing that we need. And if the target's moving, that's when it gets frustrating. Yeah. And timing how long a line is, is not fun. It's much more fun to be like, Ooh, let's try a version where you're like, you know, yelling at her or whatever. Um, And then on the same note of times, we have these insane aspect ratios that everyone asks us to keep, like shoot at nine by 16 safe. And basically you're compromising your framing all the time. And then you see your friends that are doing narrative stuff, shooting anamorphic, these beautiful shots. And you're like, we could never shoot a shot like that because Mm -hmm. you can't reframe it for Instagram. I am. I've, I've made my peace with that. And here's, here's my new mentality, Carlin. I'd love to hear what you think. I just think of whatever the main thing is. Like, I just ask, what's the hero thing? Are, is, what's the media buy? Is it all going to be on social? Is it going to be on YouTube? Where, where, what's the most important? And typically there's, a, there's an answer. And then I can say, okay, great. I'm going to prioritize 9 by 16. And the 16 by 9 will look fine. But you have to be okay with one of them not looking incredible. How many spots on your website or nine by 16 none but i think soon actually right. i'm gonna have a couple i think of, uh, of this next batch also i don't think i sent this to you Oren. i a dp i just worked with sent me a different uh cropping composition than i'd ever seen before normally when we think of nine by 16 and 69 and the same thing you're just kind of like slicing the middle out right so you uh end up with a ton of negative space on either side of the of the frame or a terrible nine by 16 shot. But he sent me um, a guide frame guide. That's more like a T. So you're actually cropping the nine by 16 as well. Right. So everything's getting cropped. 
What was that? Like an Alexa open gate framing. Maybe, yeah. Like four by three and you have kind yes. of framing. Yes, for exactly. exactly. It's, it's similar to that, to that. It's not exactly that. But but what's nice about it is that um, it just kind of makes composing a tiny bit easier, especially if you think of the 9x16 as a sliding option. Do you know what I mean? If you can move right. that around in the frame to, to grab the right piece for it. But if you're not thinking of using the entire frame of the uh, of 16 by 9 that's what I think makes the greater complication. Yeah. I guess all these things I'm listing are the things that kind of go make make commercial directing like anti-cinema, you know? And like mm-hmm. that, that's one of them. It's like worrying about these vertical framings and then having the agency be like, um, it's touching the edge of the frame and you having to run over to the video village and say, yeah, but we can move it. You see, we can like actually slide this frame over and they're like, okay, well, can you just frame it in? Just do a take where it's framed in the middle. You know, um, Matt, you're looking at me like that doesn't happen, but it happens. <laughs> um, um, he believes you. A hundred percent. That That definitely happens. Ideally, you have a good client producer who knows that and can and saves you that conversation. It's okay for a client to not know that. That's if they were filmmakers, they'd be doing it, our jobs for us anyway, right? So it's reasonable that they're like, oh yeah, I, I I work in marketing or whatever. But ideally, someone is there in the video village specifically to field those sorts of questions. Yes, if they're really great and technical and understand that as well. But um, but yeah. It's it's just a, a frustration of mine. Yeah. It's like yeah, worrying yeah. about these things and having people pinpoint things. And that, that'll take me to my last... I have a bazillion other things about production, but I'm going to end it with one last one, which is I find this on commercials a lot, and it's related to what we were just talking about, where the entire take needs to be perfect. Like you're doing a take, and maybe the boom mic came in one part, one part of the take, but you know that you will never use that part of the take because we're going to cut to this close-up, but just like in the boards. And they are like, yeah, we saw the boom. We need to do it again. And you're like, well, we don't because we're never going to use that part, you know, like for 10 different reasons. But you have these people basically looking at the entire length of the shot and they want it all to to be perfect, even though you know in your mind that you're going to be editing this thing. And and you can use the front take of this close-up, you know, the front part of this close-up and the end part of this wide shot. Mm -hmm. But the client just wants to see it all, you know, done in one shot. at least uh, in my experience. Yeah, I mean, in a in a word, sometimes I feel demoralized on set <laughs> as a creative because you know or, or you think you know you were hired because you could make this thing good and you can make it fun, you can make it look great, mm-hmm. and yet that's often not the job. And so it's super frustrating to be on set and you know in your heart that this isn't going to cut together or this isn't going to be funny or this isn't going to work. And yet you have to do whatever they say. And like I had a commercial recently where I started really pushing back on the client and the agency producer pulled me aside and she was like, you can't keep telling her no. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. she's asking insane. Like this client (laughs) is asking for like stuff that doesn't make, we've already shot and have that scene we can't we'd have to reshoot the whole scene i mean and she was just like just do it and i'm like and i was like okay i sure. give up yeah yeah. i just i give up you yeah. know at some point you're like i get and so and you're working with like like the best like you know top-notch companies yeah but yeah but I, and i wonder like do we have to be like big dga commercial directors to to really get to do the cool like guy code whatever the really cool interesting artsy stuff 
or is this just the job? I think it's just the job. I think it's just the mm. job. Okay. So, and by the way, I love production. This is, it's all fun. I love agencies. I love producers and everyone, everything. I, I'm, but I'm just um, explaining my point of view on why uh, the fun of narrative is not always like translated into mm-hmm. the fun of commercial making because you, you just can't call the shots as a director in commercials like you do in narrative. In narrative, you're kind of prioritizing art, the creative and the artistic merit of what you're making in performances. And in commercials, there are a lot of other elements that are potentially more important than those things um, that make make directing challenging and very fun and satisfying. Um, okay, so finally, we'll just spend five minutes on post-production <laughs> because uh, I guess in commercials, one of the craziest things always for me is the schedule. So you'll finish shooting on a you know Friday. Matt did this Halloween campaign mm-hmm. uh, last year, last and year. yeah, it's like you shot on a Sunday, and I was doing a few visual effects shots, and on like Monday morning, they're like, "Hey, where's the shots, man?" <laughs> I mean, it's like yeah. well, maybe it wasn't quite that bad, but it's like literally um, sometimes I, you're you're shooting one on of a the Sunday spots and it comes out on Sunday. One then, of the know, spots had aired actually at that point when they were <laughs> yes, like, yes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, it was, it, they did it. Over, they did the edit overnight. I think the first one was like a oneer. It was. It was. Wow. It wasn't crazy, but that was an insane schedule. We were to, to really do hard. like color and sound and stuff. We colored on set. Yeah, exactly. I, I, so, I had a, a fancy DIT. But then, then you like, don't get to put the same like like your narrative project. You don't get to put that same amount of. You don't get to try a million different things out. You know, mm-hmm. in post. The only time I've gotten to really work, uh, like the I yeah, if the agencies, if it's a commercial job with no agency, then I get a lot of mm, creative. Yeah, that's interesting. Leeway in post, but if there's an agency involved, it doesn't. I I can give the best notes. I can have a great cut. It doesn't matter. It does, it's not up to me. I don't call the shots. So mm-hmm. I've, and I don't know. Maybe I'm just cynical about post these days. But I'm like, what's the point? I. I and that's where your your spot is. You know, is made, made. Or broken. Um, I I feel like I heard once upon a time that, you know, when you get a little bit bigger, you can just demand, um, a director's cut be finished Mm. to completion. And I don't know if that's still a thing or not. Hmm. Well, so I, I guess I I had a lot of random things. I'm not going to talk about them, but I will talk about the director's cut, which is, I think this idea that we all have, we're like, well, there's always a director's cut, you know, it'll be the way Mm -hmm. I like it. And that's, that that'll be for me and the agency will have their cut, but you know, then you have to shepherd your director's cut through color and through sound and through music. And then you're starting to give notes on your director's cut. And people are like, well, we have a way mm-hmm. too many notes on this other cut. And it, it, to me, I don't know about you guys, but it's very rare that I end up with like my perfect director's cut on a job just because I, I don't have the time to babysit the director's cut through all these stages and, and the, ability to kind of beg the company to make my cut for me there's some companies you know the sawhorse guys they tend to they tend to like my cuts better in there because they're doing posts themselves um they will like help me finish my cut so they can use it for their own work as well you know um but my usually my best director's cuts are like i take the final cut of the client cut and i'll re-edit it a little bit i'll change out the music Mm -hmm. or i'll um, you know, change some. But how do you do stuff. that? Like, do you do you get the the a drive from them or something? 
I try to always ask for the stems, you know, the dialogue and the music and the effect separately. And then, I mean, I'd say like 50% of the time I recolor things a little bit too, because I tend to, I tend to fall in love with the color that I saw on set. And then the colorist takes it in like some totally different direction. And so I try to kind of bring it back to the color I, I loved. Um, so you do so, your own director's cuts essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on top of like the finished cut, like I'm not using getting right. like terabytes of raw footage and right. doing all that stuff. You're not swapping takes where you're like, oh, I really wish that they'd used this version or, or whatever. Yeah. On rare occasion, if I happen to have the footage I and I really feel strongly about swapping a take, I'll do it. But then the sound mix, you know, is off. Yeah. So it's, yeah. But I, I try to do that because sometimes, you know, we work so hard to get to the shoot and to shoot and to get our alts and to do our things and to get that cool dolly shot. And then it all, a lot of it gets thrown away in post. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, every, every commercial you do, you want it to be good enough to make your website. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the edit tends to not be the thing that determines whether it's going to be good in my eyes or not you know like Mm. i I feel like it happens earlier i feel like maybe just the jokes don't land or like casting got messed up or like the an edit can make something better but like if you're polishing a turd it's still a turd i guess is what i'm getting at and so Mm. um yeah but how many times have you shot stuff that's like really funny and then the final cut is like not that so many so many so many times yeah yeah so many. I feel like with the edit, I always see that first cut and I'm so depressed. And then by the time we're done, it's better. And I'm like, well, maybe this is as good as it can be. And then six months later, I'm like, well, obviously it could be better. And But I'm not going to crack it open again. That's the truth. Well, anyway, thank you for listening to me. Thank you, Carlin, for commiserating with me. Thank you, Matt, for uh, negating everything I said. <laughs> Uh, uh, but yeah that's um the the hope is that maybe there's like a little bit of insight as to like what our experiences are with directing commercials you know i think hopefully people that already direct commercials can relate to some of this stuff like i I love hearing you know like jordan brady on his podcast complain about treat like long treatments and whatever um and uh, for people that are interested in commercials hopefully we've turned you off um (laughs) So we don't have to compete with you. Exactly. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But just, just a commercial is not a 30 second version of your like awesome short film. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's a uh, it it's it's fun and it's rewarding and it can be super satisfying in many ways. But it's challenging in ways that narrative filmmaking is not. That's my Sweet. soapbox. <laughs> do you guys want to do some unpaid endorsements real quick? Yes. Let's do it. Unpaid endorsements. So my unpaid endorsement uh, is the movie Val. Have you guys watched Val? Oh, Val Kilmer documentary. Mm-hmm. The Val Kilmer documentary is really great. It's really, um, you know, you kind of, you watch those movies and you kind of, you forget about how cool and weird and exciting Val Kilmer was. And like, you know, he really did document so much of his life. Um, he's got crazy vaults that you see, like the amount of work it takes just to kind of log all that footage and and, and turn it into something special um, is a feat unto itself. But uh, but the movie's really uh, thoughtful and moving and fun, and uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Val, 
recommending it. Oh, yes, I've heard people like it, and it's I will great. check it out. Mm. Okay, I have a book. Yeah, this Carlin. It's called Empire of Pain. It's a um, it's, a, it's nonfiction by this guy. I have the book literally in my lap. This is pretty annoying. Um, Patrick. Keith and um it's about the Sackler family who oh yes, yes. were responsible for Valium and then mm, most recently mm-hmm. the opioid crisis yes and it's like a three generations kind of like how you know the original Sackler started as like just the American dream and they were ambitious and how it got to where they are now and it's um it's it's my favorite kind of nonfiction because it feels it's riveting. I mean, I just started it two days ago and I'm already like 120 pages in. I have so much work to do and I can't put this book down. It's so good. Yeah. And obviously, it's a bit depressing, but um, it's incredible. And a little piece of fun trivia is that a uh, previous podcast guest, Micah Fitzerman Blue, is uh, one of the showrunners, producers. It's one of the writers behind the, um, the Netflix show uh, based on the book. Um, There's a Netflix show based on the book? Yeah, it's about the Sattlers. It's directed by Peter Peter Berg. This book just came out, though. That's how how Hollywood works, baby. I'm like, hold on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, like, you know, a big high-profile book. um, Wait, when did it come out? The book came out, like, last month. Yeah, but books are sold well before they're published. Yeah, but are they sold years before they're published? I don't think so. Maybe it's not based on the book. No, it says... New, it's there's an article, a New York article, the family that built an empire of pain. Uh, that is the same author, so I think that's. Pr- maybe this is just a longer version of the article. Patrick Rad New Yorker Keith. writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you yeah. go. So they must have optioned the article. That makes sense. That's how Hollywood Some... works. That makes complete yes. sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the respective cool. master works serve as the underlying material for the series. Okay, so I'm going to just give a really short one because we're running super long. Uh, and it is a recommendation that when you are making web videos, make them loud. Uh, get your dialogue at like negative six to negative three dB because a lot of people are watching this stuff on their phones. And there's uh, the, sure. Do you guys know about these September 21 videos mm-hmm. uh, from yeah. Demi Adejuyikbe? Yeah. Something he like one that. of Andy Young's friends, apparently. Um, I did not know that. But so he's made, um, you know, there's the, the song. Uh about the 21st night of September, and he's made a video. I remember. That has come out. Yeah, you, you do remember. Um, on September 21st, 21st every year. 21st of September? Since 2016. And I was watching them all on my phone, and the newest one, which is like this, this eight-minute epic, you know, September 21st video, I just found it to be a little quiet. And I was like, had my phone on full blast. And it's like, <laughs> video is probably really good, but I can barely hear it. Um, anyhow, we'll talk to him. So just make your web videos loud, please. Yeah. Because people watch them on their phones, sometimes in loud environments, and it just makes everyone's life easier. I hope don't you don't hear mix that them like a wind and fire. Yeah, don't make right. them like a feature film where your dialogue is like at negative twelve and like you know whatever. That's like one of my pet peeves when people mix web videos or web ads, um, like they like if they would mix the movie for the theater. That's my recommendation. Interesting, interesting unpaid endorsement. <laughs> no, it's very unpaid. I, I like the idea of uh, maybe tweaking dialogue mixing for a speakerphone. 
Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, like mm-hmm. I, that's where I thought you were headed. Like, oh, a music yes. track is a little different, but like mixing, maybe like cutting out a little bit more of the bass, like making it more audible. If you're like imagining that someone's like kind of like right. watching I this video watching at, the it, gro- yeah. at the grocery store or whatever, which happened to me today. Someone was watching a video in front of me online. <laughs> yeah, it was and there's, <laughs> there's dialogue in this video. It's not the music yeah, yeah. part. It doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. Just the dialogue. This episode is edited by our old editor, Jay McCullough. Thank you, Jay. Very We're old. H- Hinge-hitting for us, Jay. Thanks. <laughs> um, if you would, if you have any comments on commercial directing, want to let us know what you think, what you disagree, if you even like these types of episodes where we go on random lists of uh, on a specific topic, please let us know at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us across all social media at justshootitpod.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at SmiteyPileg. And on Instagram, I'm at Kaplan. You can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And you can follow Carlin at Hey Carlin on Instagram, right? No, it's Carlin Hudson on Instagram. It's oh, Hey Carlin on Twitter. And I don't tweet much, so yeah. good luck. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Carlin, you, it's, Carlin. it's a treat. Please send me Ray-Ban always. offers. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Jay. Shady Rays would be okay, too. And thank you... <laughs> Uh, the artist is <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye. 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 Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.